Welcome to the Redemption Tempe podcast, where we believe that all of life is offered Jesus. I am your host, AC. I'm joined with my co-host, Greg Lindsay. What's up, AC? Josh Butler. Hello, folks. And we have reached the end, the conclusion, the climax, the grand finale of the Love Walked Among Us series. That's right. Yes. We started this series with the idea, the hope of wanting to be a community that not just calls themselves Christians, not just calls themselves Christ followers, but we model, image our lives after him. Uh, so it's been a really awesome series, both uh, from the pulpit, podcasts, the blogs, the conversations and RCs. It's just been a great time. So we're going to try to finish strong. Uh, and as we look now at the at the end of the Gospels, there's no spoiler, Jesus gets crucified. But the way that he does it and what it ultimately means, uh, we want to unpack that and, and talk about the implications of what then it looks like to to walk like he walked. Just kind of starting off, Josh. When we talk about Jesus, two of the terms that we often use, especially in context of what he did on the cross, we call him uh, our Savior and our Lord, both biblical terms and titles. But there's other titles that he's uh, referred to him by himself as, and one of them is the Good Shepherd. Mm, and yeah. so what do you think is the significance of viewing Jesus as shepherd? Mm, yeah. No, I, one, I think it's a really intimate image. You know, a shepherd is close with their sheep, especially in that context back in the day knew the sheep's name and all. And I, I was in Italy uh, once and I met this Italian pastor, this Pentecostal pastor in Italy. And I remember him saying, it's actually this guy Giovanni, who's actually going to be here, I think in a few weeks, or maybe maybe it'll be after this podcast comes or before this podcast comes out. Uh, I remember him saying to me, he's like, the word pastor means shepherd, literally. So pastor, shepherd. And he says, uh, if you can't smell the stink of the sheep on their clothing, then they're not really a pastor. That's the thing. You know, like, then they're not really a shepherd kind of thing. And his observation was sometimes as pastors or a shepherd in our, we have this culture where it can almost be uh, this position that allows you to distance yourself from the lives of people. But the reality of a shepherd historically, and Christ is the good shepherd, it's this very intimate image with proximity. You're in the lives of the people that you shepherd, like a shepherd is in the lives of the sheep that it cares for. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it speaks to sometimes, I love, you know, Savior and Lord are so huge and powerful. Sometimes the way we talk about that, they really emphasize, you know, what we do. Like, have you made Jesus Savior and Lord, you know? Mm -hmm. And something about the shepherd image feels like it cuts against it. I go, it's, it's actually about... There's not much a sheep can do for the shepherd. Right? Like, yeah. like, hey, can I, can I help you out up there? You know, like, there's not much that we as sheep can do for sure. It's, it, it really emphasizes the shepherd's care and provision for us. And actually, once we have that in place, and I think you revisit like Savior and Lord are the same thing. You know, mm -hmm. It's what God has done for us in Christ, saving us and becoming the king of the earth and, and all that. Uh, but it does seem like it emphasizes Christ's care for us, his guidance of us as his sheep, his intimacy with us as his sheep how little we actually bring to the table, yet his love for us. And ultimately, as Jesus says in the Gospels, that the good shepherd lays down his life mm. for the sheep. Kind of like if a lion is coming back in the day or whatever, you know, and the, the shepherd goes out with its sling and stone or whatever to, to try and intervene and place themselves between the predator and the lives of his sheep. Similarly, Christ steps in between the enemy who's come to devour us as mm. his people. Yeah, and that title also helps, I think, when you think of Lord and Savior, they're appropriate, but they give this sense of majesty and sort of like, at least for me, like arm's length. Like mm -hmm. I can't approach a Lord or a Savior as just Greg, but <laughs> a good shepherd, like, yeah, that sounds like someone who's intimately involved in my life and God is. And so all of these titles together really help us see the multifaceted 
ness, I guess, of God. Mm. He is all of these things at once, and it can be hard to comprehend, but um, it can be helpful to sort of meditate on each of these titles to see God is all of these things all at the same time. Uh, and so how do we approach him as our good shepherd? I think that that is helpful. You know, being a shepherd is not a, it's not an easy job, and there's a great cost to yourself do you know from experience? No, but I read what happened to Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I, I was a shepherd once for six months. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? Is this a true story? Yeah, true story. This is all coming in Arizona. Out right now, this is on way the back podcast. in the day. Yeah. Really? And about yeah, back in like around 2000, I spent about six months up on the Navajo reservation with wow. The, community up there is herding sheep, chopping firewood, and all. But it was an interesting experience. Sheep really are not very bright animals. <laughs> what are you trying to say they about need me? A lot of, what's that? What are you trying to say about me? I, <laughs> I was talking about more about myself. But, oh, okay. okay. Yeah. But it, it was fascinating just the amount of, you know, care and direction and all that they need hmm. and in order to find where the good food is to hmm. be able to make it through the difficult valleys and, and places where, you know, the level of guidance and care they need in order to be cared for. Did you have to fend off any coyotes or anything? Or I did not, but I was ready. Yeah. <laughs> I had your sling. What, what did you have? What did you have to defend them with? Uh, my fists and rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's, wow, the more you know. Yeah. Wow. Paul Miller in his book, when he talks about Jesus being a good shepherd and, and the cost of Christ's love for us, he talks about beauty and the beast. And he talks about how in every great love story, there's this exchange that takes place. Um, and, and I think of, uh, I even think of like Amy Sherman in her book, Kingdom Calling. She kind of gets at this idea in a different way when she talks about uh, her definition of the righteous are those who disadvantage themselves for the advantage of others. And so I think Paul Miller uses the idea of exchange, giving up something so that it can benefit someone else in another way. Uh, but that idea, he used the, the, he used the example of beauty and the beast and every love story having an exchange in it. Uh, Josh, what's your favorite love story and, and where do you see this type of exchange play out? Man, well, the one that first comes to mind for ages, I love one of my favorite movies was uh, Moulin Rouge. Remember that one? A Bob I'm Gorman. listening. Okay. <laughs> Where's he going to take this one? I'm listening. Yeah. It's one of Greg's top five. Yeah, uh, there we go. Well, didn't make the top five. <laughs> so backdrop, me and a buddy are going to the movies. We're going to see something else and it's sold out. And so we're like, oh, this one's starting in five minutes. So we go in. And I think like the first few minutes were just like, what the heck is this, dude? And we were like ready to walk out. And we were literally just about to get up and walk out. Like, you want to go? Yeah, I want to go. And then boom, like something happened. Or hit. I don't know, you know, but there was this moment in the movie where suddenly we were hooked. We were kind of in. We're like, wait a minute. What's going on here? And if you're not familiar with the story, uh, the main character, his name is Christian and, and the, and, and Satine, the, the girl. And I think it's actually intentional the naming you know because you actually see he looks like this portrait like christian like a little christ type figure uh who enters into this kind of seedy underbelly and dark world of uh the moulin rouge it's like um i don't know how you describe it, but like uh in in paris and kind of the dark seedy underworld you know and satine she's like basically held under the power of this guy zidler play on the word lizard right mm -hmm. you know and so and and he's got her basically like a prostitute or a courtesan you know and so she's forced to kind of see these different people who come and she's a performer entertainer uh but it's Chris, christian this kind of christ figure who enters from the outside into this underworld and falls head over heels for her despite her history despite her past despite all that and he's willing to give up to exchange everything about where he's come from his name his identity his potentials everything to be in union with her and 
and in the process of his pursuing her and her resisting it because it's just not going to work, she thinks, you know, all that. But in the process, she falls for him, too. And then she's willing then to exchange and leave behind everything about where she's come from in order to be together. And so it feels like a picture like he's willing to leave the glory where he's mm. come from, exchange it, kind of like Christ left the glory to come and die on our behalf. And she's willing to leave behind uh, earth, you know, like kind of all of this worldly stuff that she knows and the security and whatever else there, the marriage of this guy who have all this money in order to be united with him. They're both willing to exchange everything they know mm. in order to be together with one another forever. And that's kind of the plot line of the movie. Mm. Yeah. And when mm. you see it in action, it goes from being, this is goofy, what's going on, to suddenly like, I'm hooked. Yeah. Let me, show me more, you know, the story and what's happening here. You got to tell us your favorite song from the movie now, too. Oh, man. Um, oh, man. They're all so good. There's, there's a, uh, I forget the name of it, but I, I think it's that scene early on where there's like a, what do you call it when you meld a bunch of different songs together, like a medley or whatever? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, a medley. So it's like a medley with a bunch of famous um, pop love songs from, and mm-hmm. I will always love you. You know, like yeah. kind of cheesy yeah. stuff, but like yeah. redone where they all kind of blend into one another set yeah. with the story. That was really awesome. And there's That's one towards jam. the end called Come What May, which yeah. is sort of the come what may. You know, yeah. that no matter what's coming, I'll give it all mm-hmm. to be with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. I have one. Yeah, let's see it. It's not, I guess, specifically a love story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it might be one that is, pardon the dad joke, a oh. little strange. A few years ago, there was a Marvel movie that came out called Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, that, I ah, don't know ah, what ah. it was. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I got the joke. <laughs> Um, so first of all, if you have not seen Dr. Strange and you're planning on it, just know I'm about to tell you some spoilers. So fast forward the podcast like two minutes and and I'll be through this here. But I don't know what it was. In fact, there were some people who kind of like laughed at me for this having such a profound impact. I don't know what it was. It was just maybe like you, Josh, with Moulin Rouge, but it was just something in that movie. I mean, the only thing I can chalk it up to is just the spirit. Like this movie was not made to be a Christian story. It was made to be this cool hero movie for nerds like me. But in the midst of this movie, the the very brief synopsis, again, spoiler alert, this is your last chance. If you haven't heard or watched the movie and you want to, don't listen to this part. But you have this guy, uh, Doctor Strange, and he starts out in this movie as a very pompous um, uh, surgeon, and he's he's one of the best, if not the best, and he counts all of his worth and all of his character and all of his being on how good of a surgeon he is. And he's driving one night in his super, he's super rich, super fancy car, and gets in this horrible accident and loses complete function of his hands. So he has his death moment, where he is essentially dead to the person that he built his entire character on um, before. And so he goes... Um, East and, you know, there's some things where he learns about these powers that um, he draws out. And long story short, there's this epic uh, celestial bad guy who is just going to destroy everything in existence, including the Earth. And Doctor Strange has this power on his necklace to reverse time. Um, and he can do that as much as he wants. So there's no way he doesn't have the power to fight this ultimate bad guy. Um, and he has this sort of like, uh, well, come to Jesus moment, if you will, where he, he realizes like, I have to sacrifice myself. And if I have to do it forever, that's what I have to do in order to save everything, including humanity. Um, and so 
there's a scene where he faces this bad guy in like outer space, basically. And the bad guy swats him away like a fly. Like, what are you going to do? And, and destroys him. But then five seconds later, he comes back because he used his power to go back in time. And he's like, I'm back. What are you going to do? What, what do you have? And he swats him again. And he just keeps going back and reversing time and going back and going back. And this, this, uh, this entity that wants to destroy everything is just stuck in this loop of having to deal with Doctor Strange. So he can't do any of the dastardly deeds that he was trying to do. And there's just something about that, that this character who completely built his identity on what he could do and how much money he could make and how successful he was. And he dies to himself and he's willing to, for eternity, be swatted around by this crazy, powerful being forever, if that's what it takes, um, to save humanity was just really striking to me. It's, it's a Christ-like story. Obviously, it's, there's a lot of differences, but that, that really struck me, um, when I saw that movie. And, and now he's one of my favorite superheroes. Yeah, that's a really good movie. I, I was going to talk about Man on Fire, but uh, before we started recording, Josh hadn't seen it, so I don't want to <laughs> ruin that movie. That one's good enough to where it's like, you just need to go see it. Yeah. That's that's a classic, yeah, yeah. really good movie. Uh, so what I chose instead was, uh, is actually from a musical. I don't even like musicals, but I was in college part of acting, and I got to be a part of the backstage for the musical. And this is actually a really good one. It's called I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change. And it's like this, just a series of like love stories and romance stuff. But there's this one particular song, story, scene, whatever called um, uh, Shouldn't I Be Less In Love With You? And basically the way this scene starts is you have this couple who are middle-aged sitting at a table, reading the newspaper, eating breakfast. And all of a sudden he's just looking at this wife that he's been married to for the last 20 years. And he stands up and starts singing this song about how all of their friends have been going through divorces and this and that, going after the new fling. And, and he's saying, like, I just realized, like, we've been together so long and I, I love you even more than I've ever loved you before. Like, shouldn't I be less in love with you as time goes on? Like, that's what mm-hmm. our culture seems to talk about. Uh, the implication from that story is that over the years, I can't think of how many times that he, he and her both gave up opportunities to pursue some new fling or, or, or something else, but gave that up for the long-term uh, love relationship that they have. Mm. This idea of love and, and you know, we use the examples from love stories and uh, uh, movies of, of how we've seen it portrayed to give up in exchange for another, to disadvantage yourself for the sake of another. Uh, let's bring it down to real life for a minute. Josh, as a parent, how does that impact the way you parent, loving through exchange, giving up for the sake of other? Yeah, well, man, I, I mentioned Greg too. You're you're right in the thick of with with uh, especially when the kids were younger. I yeah, I felt it more in my body. You know, yeah, just the sleepless nights. You know, we ended up um, kind of a crazy story, but we had uh, you know so we had our daughter, and then we were trying for a few more years to get pregnant. It wasn't happening. So we sent into foster care. A newborn placed with us, and then three weeks later, we found out we we're pregnant. We ended up adopting. So in short, our two youngest ones are ten months apart. Yeah. So it was almost like twins. I think you know, probably mm-hmm. something like that. Except I don't know if you're a parent of twins or triplets. God bless you. Maybe it's something more for you. But it felt even harder, maybe in some ways, because one was like up all through the night. The other one mm-hmm. was up at three in the morning, four Whoa. in the morning. You know. And so I remember Holly and I just being exhausted for what felt like two years. Yeah. Um, where you know I'd be up at four or whatever to take the one and go, you know, take him out for a walk through the neighborhood just so everyone else could sleep, and um, Holly would be up through the night with the other, and you're just going through the season where felt like 
you almost start to feel like you're not fully human, you know, like, like not like superhuman, but like less than subhuman, you know, like, like walking around in a daze. I can remember being in these important meetings for stuff with like work and I'm trying to be present and be whatever and just feeling like, like I'm about to doze off asleep or no, I'm not fully here. And so it's just that sense of exchange, like, but, and yet you so greatly love Hmm. Your kids, and it's like, dude, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give anything. Mm. You know, I remember when our daughter was born, it felt like this new, our firstborn, you know, it just felt like this new section in my heart just kind of <laughs> opened up that yeah. I didn't even realize it was there. Mm. And then it was like, I'll do anything, I'll give anything mm-hmm. for, like, I'll exchange anything, any dying to myself in order that you might thrive and flourish. Doesn't even seem like it costs. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is, it's not just parenthood, it's, there are different, stages of life where you you, like experience big moments of change and at least for me i notice even more how like (laughs) how actually selfish i am Mm -hmm. and how like uh caught in my ways i am but i'm totally blind to it so you know like you don't have to have a kid or you don't have to be married uh or, you know, I mean, it was even like for me, graduating college, and that's a huge shift. And you realize all these things that you never even thought about. But but I would say for Everett, who um, our son who just turned one. Yeah, similar. I didn't realize how much I relied on my routines for, mm-hmm. I guess, I, the only word I can think of is like safety. I can re- I know I can get through this because later tonight I can do this. I can mm. hang out and and you know watch this Netflix show or um play this this game with some friends or something like that. But all bets are off when you have a uh, a a small child like mm. especially now Everett is is getting around he's moving and and it's constant like you're always watching him and um and you know he's learning about tantrums and and things like that. But I will say this similar to what you said Josh on uh this is going to date this podcast now forever but I'm okay with it. This past week uh my wife and I were able to sneak away and we saw the new live action Dumbo movie mm-hmm. and oh my gosh man the part if you guys have seen the movie I mean they have like if you've seen the original they they have a lot of the same sort of story beats and there's the moment with the mom elephant and she's sort of in like the um she's locked up in a cage basically in that song Baby Mine or I think that's what it's called that's like, I barely kept it together. My wife didn't keep it together. It's just like this moment of like paternal love. And she's like swinging Dumbo in the cartoon version, at least um, in her trunk, because she can't be with him. It's just like that level of, there are just things where you're like, that is this new depth of love for this human being that I never even knew I could tap into. So yeah, I mean, this, this exchange of like, whatever it takes, it's, it is worth it. So Josh, uh, I'm going to ask you um, a deeper question now. Okay, we're going to get a little more. I guess you could say theological cool. with this here. Just and then let's just say this is our last question. We'll wrap up after this. We talked about a lot of fun uh, pop culture things, which I'll do that all day. I mean, if we want to change this podcast to just talk about that, I'd love that. But that's not what we're doing. Hmm. So here's here's my question for you, Josh. Yeah. Because I know that you've written about this, and it's really helpful the way the ways that we've talked and and you you think about this question. A big there are like big theological questions that people will ask um, about our faith, which is good. And people should ask those questions and push into them. And we should pray and read scripture to um, to find answers to these big questions. One of the questions is, is really about this exchange that we see Jesus doing for us, where he goes to the cross and he dies uh, so that we may live. And there are people who would say, 
basically see that as divine child abuse. Mm. How could God the Father send his son to die? Couldn't he have thought of a different way for this whole thing to work out? Why didn't they just sacrifice a bunch of animals and, and mm. kind of make it good for everybody? Why is it that the son had to die? Mm. Isn't that divine child abuse? Well, how would you answer uh, or, or sort of uh, engage with that question? Yeah, great. No, good question. Uh, so a couple different angles. I think first is to recognize, well, you talk about child abuse, sort of Jesus is not like a five-year-old, right? Like we think about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We tend to think of like a young kid and a mean dad. He's a full, fully grown adult, fully grown man. And there's a sense that like it says he set his eyes toward the cross. Like he, Jesus is not a passive victim. He's mm-hmm. an active agent. You know, I love when he says, um, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. There's mm-hmm. a sense that like the cross does, doesn't just happen to Jesus. Like Jesus happens to the cross. Mm-hmm. Like he's going like a jaguar out to devour death. Like Jesus is on a mission to actually take on the sin, suffering, and it's just consequence and punishment and all that. Like he's he's taking it all on actively. Um, so I think we got to push back against anything that turns Jesus into like some hapless passive victim of the cross. Like mm-hmm. he is undertaking the salvation of the world. Uh, another unhe- another thing I think it's helpful to clarify. There's an unhealthy, unhelpful way to look at it. I think in a helpful, healthy way. The unhelpful, unhealthy way is recent last few decades there have been there's been a movement some who have talked about the cross as like this sort of um explosion of the trinity so to be right like it's the eternal father against the eternal son they're kind of pitted against each other and um jesus is kind of the loving one hey i'm gonna go be with my friends and the father is like the vindictive mean one like i, I want to beat them up but mm-hmm. she's like no hit me instead oh okay boom. you know and it's like <laughs> just this really unhealthy codependent whatever right um that is not historic Christian theology. Like historically, right. the church has never taught the explosion of the Trinity and that kind of thing. And I think that's the root where the divine child abuse caricature comes out downstream. You know, uh, the tension historically has been located not between the persons of the Trinity, but between the divinity and the humanity of Christ. And so um, when we look at the cross from the angle of the humanity of Christ, we see that God in Christ, you know, has taken flesh to himself and all, you know, and, and he, our humanity, our human nature, and that Jesus is, one of those like, but Jesus is bearing upon himself our distance from the presence of god right like uh, our sin our alienation our exile our consequence and the just divine punishment of death like that exile and death are god's ordered punishment within the creational order for sin uh, that jesus in his humanity his perfect sinless humanity he is bearing our sin our exile, our death. He's bearing the consequence and the punishment of sin in his vicarious humanity, representing us as his people. And so from one angle, in his humanity, Jesus is bearing our distance from the presence of God upon himself. And yet from another angle, his divinity, Jesus is bearing the presence of God within himself into our distance, right? That Jesus is Jesus is God himself, God in flesh coming Yahweh embodied you know coming to take upon the punishment and consequence for sin himself so we talk about this exchange of love Uh, this is the ultimate exchange of love where God uh, looks at us in our condition and our alienation and our predicament under the just punishment of sin and God in Christ comes to bear the cost himself that um, he exchanges himself for us in and through the vicarious humanity of Christ and that goes from being like this vindictive picture of abuse, whatever, to actually going the justice of God and the love of God are so magnified and both held together at the cross where God has upheld the just order of creation and he's borne the 
punishment himself in Christ on our behalf. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you, Greg. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, This has been an awesome series, and we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Tempe podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. Our vision is to create disciples who seek reconciliation and restoration of Tempe. We are a multi-congregation church, and our service times at our Tempe location are 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 6 p.m. To learn more about us or to get plugged into the life of the church by tapping the connect button on our app, we would love to hear any feedback or questions you have. Please send them to Tempe Podcast at RedemptionAZ.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week.